are grateful that you speak to us through your word and that you are faithful in keeping your promises. And I pray that um, as we as we read about how you fulfill your promises, that it would just awaken our hearts, that we come alive knowing that we have a God who is active, who is powerful, who works all things for the good of those who love him. And uh, I pray that you would just open our, our hearts, our ears today as we listen to your word. I pray that you would um, help me teach well. And uh, for all those that are going to be in this room, God, I pray that you would uh, be active and working. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come on in. Hey, Nathan. Hey, Gracie, right? No. Sayla. Yes. Okay. There's uh, sheets over there if you guys want. All right, so we are going through the entire Bible. We're almost done. This is our eighth lesson of ten. And um, who's been here for the majority? Four or more meetings, classes, a few of you guys. All right, so um, in in one in some ways, it's a very simple storyline to the Bible. Um, in other ways, because there's so much nuance, the, the Bible speaks to so many different aspects of life it's it can be really overwhelming but um we're gonna try to like keep it on the simpler side today just uh because there's no way we can cover everything that is covered that uh, we're gonna go over in the books today but let me start off with um the introduction to our books today so we're going through romans through colossians so last week pastor michael went through the gospels matthew mark luke and john and acts the historical books and today we we go through uh these epistles. Um, any guesses as to who wrote all these books? Paul, right? It's it's right there. Paul the Apostle wrote all these books, and um, with the exception of Romans and First Corinthians, um, it actually there's amongst commentators there's not uh, there's there's some like debate as to which uh, epistles were all written in were, were written in while he was in prison. So we know that Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians was written in prison. Uh, First Corinthians, maybe Romans, maybe. But um, but uh, what we're going to go through today is just Paul is writing these these letters to the churches that he either founded or the churches that he is in contact with. So these are referred to as a Pauline epistles, the Pauline epistles. So um, uh, if you guys have ever heard, if you guys are into like theology. There's, a, there's something called Pauline theology. It's not theology about a woman called Pauline, but it's uh, pa- Paul, uh, Paul's theology. And this comes out in, in, all his, in all his writings. So Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, which is pretty amazing that one single person was able to have such a huge impact on the life of the church. And we see in Pauline theology, he covers a multitude of... of um, of things he talks about creation he talks about redemption he talks about uh, the law and the gospel he talks about how believers should live with each other he talks about church order a ton of stuff so this is all encapsulated in Pauline theology and today we're going to cover a specific uh, just one or two aspects of Pauline theology here as we go through Romans through Colossians so um, like I said these these epistles are written to churches in specific situations. And think of, think of, uh, if you guys have ever written letters, I know like people don't really write letters now, but you write emails to people, right? So let's say that if, let's say, uh, who is around, who has actually written a handwritten letter before? All right. 
So some of you guys, I, I know that some of some people may not have ever written an extended letter, but Paul, what he's doing is, and also, let me just, uh, I'm not, uh, we're just in the little first part of uh, this of this lesson, so we're not going to hit um, the scriptures until maybe another three or four minutes, but um, this is Paul writing letters to these churches that he loves, and to get to get a sense of um, just how significant it was that he wrote these letters, uh, we need to think about some some history and and some uh, some first century economics. So in the first century, uh, ink and paper this this was really really expensive. Uh, so like now nowadays like it costs us like this probably costs like three cents to print. Um, back in the day, uh, papyrus that whatever they wrote stuff on this was really expensive. And then the way that most of the most of Paul's letters worked was he would uh, he would recite these words to to a scribe. That's why if you'll see in some of his letters he'll say like um, uh, that this person is transcribing for me. But uh, like, let's look at the book of Romans. Romans is the longest of Paul's letters, and and scholars they estimate that in terms of how much it co- like in today's dollars, how much it would cost Paul to hire someone to to transcribe what he's saying, and for some for for him to collect all this paper, they said it would cost Paul about in today's dollars about two thousand U.S. dollars to write the letter of Romans, just in terms of material cost and to have this ship because. Again, they didn't have the Pony Express back then. They had Paul had to hire someone to carry this this letter to the churches that he, or to, I guess in the in the um, uh, case of Romans to the Roman church. So this was significant. Paul put a lot of effort. He put a lot of thought into the these letters that he wrote to the churches. So in order to, for us to understand all that he's saying in these letters, we need to understand. Paul himself as a person. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about who Paul is because this helps us understand what he's trying to say in the letters. Okay? So we, we have to understand two aspects. We need to understand who Paul is in order to understand the epistles, and we need to understand who the churches are and their, their specific situations. So who is Paul? What did he do? Who are the churches? What is their situation? What is the uh, the culture of their of their environment. What uh, what's the makeup? Are they mostly Jew Jews? Are they mostly Gentiles? So we need to keep these two things in mind. So let's talk about Paul. Last week, Michael he touched very briefly on on Acts. Um, I don't think he he talked about uh, what we're going to talk through here. This is why I printed it out. But let me have um. So let me to give a background of Paul. He actually talks about his own life as a Pharisee. So who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees were. The religious elite. These were the guys that were respected. These are the guys that had influence and clout. These were the guys that um, they had so so much um, influence and power. And Paul was he he says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees in one of his letters. And this is a guy who understood everything. So if we look at some some historical books, and I was reading a book, um, I forget the name of the book, but then it gives us some background. He talks about. Uh, how Paul he grew up as a Jew, uh, but then he grew up in the context of uh, a, a Greek or a Roman, a Greco-Roman um, culture. So he has Paul's a very educated man, and he is he comes from a family that understands Scripture. So he himself he grew. Up, I mean, if any of you guys have grew up in the church, kind of like that. Paul was from the from his very early childhood. 
he was he had the scriptures pounded into him and he knew what religious life was like and he studied under uh, a, a rabbi his name was Gamaliel I'm not sure how to pronounce it but then this was one of the top rabbis so Paul this is a guy who is at the top of his game and if you were to think in terms of Christian terms like just imagine Billy Graham like the 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 first century uh version of Billy Graham, except a little bit more violence. Paul talks about how he killed Christians, he stoned Christians. Uh, Paul was the type of guy who was super zealous. I mean, his... Talk about obsession. This guy, his single-minded, he was, I'm going to promote the the not only what I believe, but I'm going to kill people who disagree. And here is this small, little, tiny Jewish sect called Christians. Remember in the first century, the... the there were hardly any Christians. Christianity was a small sect that people just could kind of push off. But here, the Christian sect, they are coming to life. And they're they're proving to be a negative... They're, they're having a negative impact on the Jewish leaders' lives. And they are... Uh, and we'll see in history, they, they gain more political clout and they have more power. And here, they're threatening what the Jews are teaching. So Paul, here's this guy, he says... I hate these guys. I hate these Christians so much that I'm going to kill them. I'm going to track them down. I'm going to devote my energy to making sure that this thing called Christianity, whatever it is, does not get off the ground. And then in Acts, he comes to a powerful, powerful uh, meeting with Jesus Christ. And we see this account in Acts 26. So I'm going to have, TJ, can I have you read this long passage? Yeah. I journeyed to Damascus. I saw on the way a light from heaven, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. To this day, I have had, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim, proclaim the light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. Thank you. So here, there's actually um, three accounts of Paul's conversion in the book of Acts. And in one, the, the first instance when, uh, in, in Acts, I believe it's Acts chapter 7, when Jesus confronts Paul, he, he tells, Jesus tells, um, I think it's Barnabas, uh, he says, I'm going to teach Paul how much he must suffer for my name. And I'm going to teach Paul how much he must suffer for what I'm calling him to do. And Paul's life was filled with suffering. And here we see he's, he's articulating what is his mission as an apostle. So he's saying here, he recognizes that, verse 17, um, he's going to sp- preach this to the Gentiles to whom Jesus is sending him to open their eyes, turn from darkness to light. And then in verse 22, uh, we see 
To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying to both great and small, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. What the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So if you look on the third bullet point here on the under the epistles, part one section, um, I say that uh, this teaches believers how to live. The epistles teach the believers how to live in between the coming of Christ and the final consummation of God's promises. So let's do a little bit of history. So um, we have creation right here. And then we have the fall. Okay. And then we have the God making the, his covenant promises to his people. So specifically, we're going to talk about the Abrahamic covenant today. Abrahamic covenants. And then here is the history of the Israel, Israelites, Israel and you can say Judah. Okay, here is Jesus. And then here is the crucifixion, the ascension. And then the in the book of Acts, this is when the church gets started. So this is the church. Uh, church. All right. And at some point, we're not sure exactly when, but Lord, the Lord Jesus is, gonna, is going to come back again. And he's going to receive his church. So this is the consummation of all things. This diagram is right there. So right now, uh, starting in the first century, the church... Uh, got off the ground, and then we are in that we are in this age right here, the church age. So, uh, so Paul is speaking to those who they may have understood what the the Old Testament scriptures taught that God had created that that man had fallen, that the covenants were made as a promise to God's people, and Paul is writing to those of us here. After the church, he's saying, all right, let me explain to you what's happening. Let me explain to you uh, from from the scriptures, uh, the, the promises that were made to Moses and the prophets. This is what we see here. And Oh, here, so if you guys need more. Thanks. We're right there. Oh, I did? Okay, thanks. Um, so this is this is what the epistles, epistles speak to. They speak to us as believers. So there's so much stuff in these books. So... Um, just out of necessity, we're not able to. We're not going to be able to cover everything. I won't even be able to give you guys a, a summary of certain books because there's so much in them. But let's go ahead and move forward. Any questions about this before we move on? Any questions about the person of Paul? Okay, Paul. He gave his sweat and blood and tears to uh, give us these letters. So let's go with Romans. So the introduction to Romans, it talks about the character of God. It talks about who God is. It talks about God as, this book talks about the righteousness of God, the character of God. God is holy. God cannot stand to be among sinners. All those who have tried to reach God, they have fallen short of his glory. God is so great. God is so majestic. And who is man? And Paul, if you guys have read through Romans before, you'll note that Romans starts with, it's, it's really bad news, right? He starts with saying, like, uh, you, you Jews, if you think that you're right because you keep the commandments, if you think you're right because you follow the traditions, you guys are condemned. And the Gentiles, and he, in, chap- in Ro- Romans chapter 3, he, he goes through just a whole list of sins, and they're like punches to the guts. It's like, you're guilty in this way, and you're guilty in this way, and you're guilty in this way. And the, the reader, I think that Paul, he, he wants the reader to feel a sense of, helplessness in a sense of just I'm so sinful I am so guilty Paul emphasizes the guilt of man in light of the character of God and here um, and and I mentioned earlier he talks about 
the both the Jews and the Gentiles. And remember, Paul was a missionary to uh, the Gentiles. He wanted to. Oh, let me. I'm sorry. Um, because I'm talking to about the Jew and Gentile uh, difference. Um, the Abrahamic covenant. Let, let's keep that in mind right here. Let me re- let me remind us again what it is. Who remembers what the Abrahamic covenant was? Yeah. Something about descendants outnumbering. Right, right. So um, there, there's this really great line uh, from a Rich Mullen song. He uh, he says, "Sometimes I think of Abraham and and sometimes uh, and how one star he saw had been lit for me. Like when God made this promise to Abraham, God said, your your descendants are going to be as multiple as as, um, as as huge as, or the number is going to be as huge as there are uh, skies, stars in the sky. And Abraham, he looked up and he said, what kind of promise is that? And Abraham says, I cannot count how many stars there are in the sky. And one of those stars was lit for you, and one of those stars was lit for you. And um, this is this is the promise that God made to Abraham. So keep that in mind, Abraham, Abrahamic covenant, meaning that it's not only to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, for those who are not Jews, okay? So Paul is saying um, both the Gentiles and the Jews, you guys are guilty. Um, there is no hope for you apart from Christ. So um, we see here it talks about the character of God. It talks about the believer's relation to the law. And there is, um, there are there are specific pa- chapters in the book of Romans where he speaks specifically of the law. And he says the law is powerless. The law cannot do what you think it can do. All the law can do is show you that the, that that you cannot measure up to what the law is telling you to do. So um, Paul, this is a guy who who uh, was touched powerfully. He he was basically uh, completely destroyed. Paul, as the Pharisee, completely destroyed, and in the place was a new person, and he understood how powerful the gospel he was teaching was. So we see in Romans. I'm going to have Aikman read Romans chapter one, uh, sixteen and seventeen. <clears throat> for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. All right, thank you. So this is what I'm talking about when Paul says that this gospel is not only for the Jew, it's not only for the Gentile, it's for all people. And uh, it says in verse 17, um, for in it the righteous, the, go- the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God is his character, it's his perfection, it's it's how completely other he is from us. Um, so, and uh, verse 17, if you guys look at this line from, the righteous shall live by faith. This is actually a quote from, I think, Habakkuk uh, in the Old Testament. And if you guys have studied church history at all or Western history, uh, do you guys know who it was that read this passage and and he completely changed Western history? Any thoughts? Uh, there was a famous um, black preacher named after this guy. Martin Luther, yeah. Martin Luther, this, this monk in Germany, and this was... Uh, um, Martin Luther was a monk that was completely devoted to the Catholic Church. He gave his entire life to the Catholic Church. And he lived with this in- 
incredible sense of guilt because he was always thinking, am I doing the right thing? Did I repent enough? And there's people, there are accounts of Martin Luther where he would um, go back, he would, he would spend like an hour or two in the confessional booth, you know, in the Catholic church, just telling the priest, these are all the things I did. And these are all the things I did. And then half an hour later, he would go, Oh, I forgot to tell the priest this. And he would go back into the confessional booth and spend another half hour telling him, these are all the things I did wrong. And he lived with this constant sense of guilt. And, and there was no, no moment, no waking moment in his life when he just did not feel like he did not measure up because the Catholic church was teaching him, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this to be right with God. And then he reads Romans 1.17 where it says, The righteous shall live by faith. And this is the verse that changed Western history. And I'm not exaggerating. This is the verse that changed Western history because Martin Luther, he saw this and he went, Wait a minute, all the stuff that I've been taught is not right. The righteous shall live by faith. The right, not the righteous shall live by their good works. Not that the righteous shall live by their guilt-induced repentance. But the righteous shall live by faith. And he went on to to preach to the people in Germany first. And then this started a revolution. We call it the, the Protestant Reformation. And this is a reformation that in the, in the 16th century turned the Western world on its head. Because at this point, the Catholic Church had such a strong hold on, on the Western world and they said things are going to go this way like if you're going to be a good, if you want to go to heaven if you want to be right with god you do all these things and you stand in the catholic church and you do these things and martin luther said no this is not it and then, and from this we get the protestant reformation where um not only religious life but cultural life and socioeconomic life all this was changed because people saw Wait a minute. I am. If the Bible is what it said, if I am what the Bible says I am, specifically Romans, then that means I can read the Bible for myself. Because back in the day of Martin Luther, only the clergy could read the Bible. If they wanted to hear it, they had to go to church to listen to it. Um, this means that I myself can can be a priest to other people. This means that my work outside the church has significance and meaning. And this changed everything in Western society. So. There's, we can't underestimate how huge Romans 117 is. It's a huge verse because Martin Luther caught on to it and he was set on fire. And in the, in, in, over the next few decades, the Western world was set on fire because of this. Okay, um, Let's move on to Romans 3. So there's so much in Romans 3. They, the scholars call Romans the... Uh, the summit of the of the entire Bible, meaning that if there's like Genesis to Revelation, here we go, Romans. Because from Romans, we can look back, what does the Old Testament say? From Romans, we can say, what does it say about the life of the believer? And what is my relation to God? And it gives us such hope because if you guys have ever read through Romans 8, people, scholars will say, this is the top of the top of Scripture where it says that God is for us. That God is for us. That God is always actively looking out for your good. This is huge. But Romans 3, it, t- it touches upon the Old Testament. So I chose this passage as kind of a representative of what this chapter is teaching. I'm going to have, Tracy, can you have read Romans 3 right here? But now the righteousness of God has manifested apart from the law, although the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a situation by his blood to be, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, thank you. I want to focus on the latter half of verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So, keep in mind that God's people have been in existence from the very beginning of time. Meaning that they, so if Jesus is here in in the space-time continuum, right there, that means that we are, this is us right here, right? We can, we have the benefit of looking back. We can look at our Bible and say, oh, I know who paid for my sins. I know what God did about my sins. But here it says, here it says, in in God's divine forbearance. Does anyone want to take a stab in the dark as to what divine forbearance might mean? Divine forbearance. Um, it's it's uh, you're, you're on the right track. Um, forbearance. The, we have this for, uh, forbear. Um, you're, you're you're on the right track because you're talking about forbear. It points to something in the future. Um, the divine forbearance. Let me uh, break this down. Let's. It's this is an attribute of God. So, God's forbearance. It's meaning God's patience. In God's patience, in his foreknowledge of what would happen, he passed over former sins. So this goes back to who God is. God is righteous, right? If God is righteous, if God is completely holy, how can he let people sin and still stand before him? Because if we look at the Old Testament, everyone, everyone was a sinner. Everyone was guilty. Everyone deserved punishment and hell. So when we talk about David, the Bible says that David was a man for God's own heart, that David was a friend of God. When we look at uh, Abraham, or when we look at Noah, or when we look at Moses, all these guys were sinners. All these guys had did had earned God's judgments. And here in this passage, God is saying, wait a minute, how can you just let the, these sins go? How can you, I mean, the, the Bible speaks of God as forgiving, but how can God be forgiving? How can God forgive the sins of these people in the Old Testament? God, in his divine forbearance, gave his son, verse 23, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So in God's patience, in God's mercy, he passed over the sins of all these Old Testament saints. Someone had to pay for their sins, right? Someone had to pay for their sins. It was to show his righteousness in the present time so that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in the Old Testament, people had faith, right? They had faith in God. They also had faith. Do you guys remember what they did? Um, they didn't have Jesus yet. So what did they do in lieu of uh, this, the sacrifice of Jesus? Yeah. In the, in the temples, they would, they, would offer them, they would offer sacrifices. They would um, bring... Um, uh, goats and lambs, and they would they would slaughter them. And there's a passage in in I think it's Colossians where it says all these things are but a shadow. 
these everything that you did in the temple, you Old Testament Israelites, these are just a shadow. They're pointing forward to something. So here Paul is saying all the promises that were made in the Old Testament, this is where it comes together because all all the sacrifices were pointing to Jesus and his sacrifice. So God in his divine forbearance passed over former sins. I mean imagine if there were a a judge that just I mean like we can't we can't say that God is holy if if he continues to let people off the hook. So if there were a judge that there were there was a convicted murderer or there was a murderer in front, in front of him and um, this judge said, well, you know, like, I feel that you're like, you're going to try not to kill anyone again. And um, you're going you're gonna to do your best. You're going to have people around you to try to keep you from, from killing other people. I'm going to let you go. Um, just my hunch, you're not going to do it again. We'd say this is a terrible judge. A good judge would say, you need to pay the punishment for what you did. Um, so this Old Testament God, he, I mean, who paid for their sins? Who paid for the sins of all these Old Testament saints? It had to be someone else. And all these sacrifices pointed to Jesus, God in his divine forbearance, Passover, former sins. And then um, we see throughout the rest of Romans, how does this look? How does the, the believer relate to the law? How does the believer, uh, even though he's free from the law, how can he still live in a, live in a way that pleases God? So um, that's Romans. Any questions or comments on the book of Romans? Okay, um, this is, there's so much in Romans, so I, I believe that Harry's preaching next week on Romans 8, so you guys get to hear um, from one of the best passages in the entire Bible, Romans 8, 31 through 32. Um, well, he who not, he got, or, uh, it's talking about how God does not spare his son, and will, in the process, will he not give us all things, so some beautiful things in the book of Romans. Let's move on to First and Second Corinthians. Uh, we're we're going to spend less time on these. I wanted to make sure that we understood this why Paul wrote all these letters. But first and second Corinthians, um, it talks about the uniqueness of the Christian message, and then these are letters of instruction and correction written to the Corinthian church and the gospel at work in the church. So, first and second Corinthians, we talk about how uh, how um, you know sometimes we have this idealist image of what the first century church was. We're like. Oh, these people were so close to their the beginning of the church, and they were so. I mean, there may have been eyewitnesses to the works of Jesus in the early church, but the reality is, in from from the very beginning of the Christian church, things were really, really, really messed up. Why? Because you have sinners in the church, and these sinners they're going to do terrible things, just as we all do terrible things. Um, there's and Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian churches because they lived in a culture that was highly um, immoral. There, were, there was a lot of uh, sexual immorality, immorality. There was a lot of division among the church. There was a lot of confusion as to how believers should live. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, um, these are the things I want to say to you. These are This is what I want to say to you in terms of the message that we preach. Um, this is what I want to say to you in terms of how you should live in light of who you are. So, uh, who, um, Savannah, can I have you read uh, this um, passage from 1 Corinthians 1, and then it goes into chapter 2? Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
The Jews demand science and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Thank you. So, uh, again, we see here, Paul brings up, there is the... The, the Jews and the Greeks, or the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. And Paul is speaking to this Corinthian church where there are some people who value what, what the Greeks valued, which was, um, which was, uh, intellect and, and skilled, uh, oration. And they, they, and during this time, there were a lot of people who, they made their living off of being good speakers. So, um, just imagine the best, like, speech giver that you've heard, or if you get, if you guys ever watched TED Talks, um, I know that Christine is a huge fan of TED Talks, so I, I hear them sometimes. These guys that were so smart, and they had so much good stuff to say, and these these the Corinthian church, they lived kind of in the shadow of of these speakers, that they had so much influence. And Paul is saying, you know what, these things that I'm speaking to you, um, there are other people that come to you with intellect, and they come to you with, with um, their, their skilled oratory, but for me, I'm a weak man. Um, I, I, I may have, we don't, people don't know, but some people say that Paul was a very skilled speaker. Others say like he was, um, not so much, but whatever the case, Paul is saying, whatever, whatever it is I'm preaching, it's, it's the message itself that has power. It's not the person. And Paul is saying all these things that I'm going to speak to you, they blow, they, they completely turn the world's value on its head because the world values power. It values wisdom. It values influence. It values wealth. And Paul says the gospel speaks of something else. The gospel speaks of weakness as a strength. The gospel speaks of of um, valuing those who have nothing to give to you. The value the, the gospel says that instead of power, uh, it it works through other ways. So Paul says here, kind of he starts off the, the his letters by saying, uh, "I'm coming to you with not the wisdom of the world, but with the foolishness of God." So. Um, so, uh, yeah, so in terms of the, the actual content of the message, we're not going to go through too much of that, actually not much more, um, but I just want us to get a sense as to why Paul wrote First Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. So what's your church? And then, um, Paul, can I have you read Second Corinthians 11, please? Sure. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one you, we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. All right, thank you. In Second Corinthians, Paul is talking. He's referring to those. He calls them super apostles. If you if you continue to read on. Um, Paul says there are these like super apostles. He's being facetious that are infiltrating the Corinthian church and saying like, "You you guys need to do these, or this gospel is good, but it's not enough." And Paul is saying, "I'm speaking against it." So because people were coming in with a different gospel than what he was preaching, there was division in the church. So Paul writes to first to the Corinthians with these letters saying, "Hey guys, this is what's up. You guys are not living according to who you are," and he. 
Paul is correcting them. He's saying, like, he's saying, uh, in terms of marriage, in terms of church uh, functions, in, tr- in terms of Christian unity, this is how it looks. Okay. Any questions on First and Second Corinthians? All right. Yes. So, like, um, First Corinthians talks about Jews and Greeks, and mm-hmm. like how separating by those guidelines isn't necessary because it's not supposed to be right. fun. Yeah, yeah. There's actually, um, there's actually. Uh, so Ezra's question was, uh, uh, because there, there are two groups of people. There are the Jews and the and the Greeks, and then he talked about racism. So there's um, actually in the history of the church, Paul corrects. I forget who it was. Um, someone might be able to remind me. But there was a guy who was, um, he was he was going along with racist tendencies, and Paul says he pulls him aside and says, "Hey, dude." Uh, this is not cool. You got. You need to live in light of what you've been taught. And this is what's what's interesting about Christianity in terms of a historical phenomenon is Christianity is the first major religion to include everyone. Every other religion at this point said we're going to divide people based on who on on their their ethnicity or their culture. Christianity is the only one that is inclusive of all. All uh, ethnicities and all races. So this has major. If you study study, there's a book called uh, by Rodney Stark. I think it's called um, How the Rise of Christianity. Uh, the, the Rise of Christianity, and it, he talks about how Christianity influenced the entire world because it's it's spoken such a way that it was so different to every other religion and every other worldview. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Galatians. So it's the denial of false gospels. It talks about life in the spirits. Um, let me see. Can I have a... Uh, well, let me, let me set it up for you guys. So in the Galatians, there were these guys called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers said, Hey, um, what, what you guys... What, what Paul is telling you guys is good, but then you need to add, there's Christ. And Paul was saying... Christ is all you need. And then these Judaizers said, uh, hold on, um, you also need circumcision. So don't forget that, because if you're good Jews, that's what you do, you get circumcised. And um, Paul is saying, Paul is, when, when he is writing to the Galatians, he is angry, he is furious that people would say that Christ is not enough. So Galatians is a letter to the Galatian church saying, you guys... Like, you cannot tolerate this false gospel. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. You cannot add on to what Christ has done. And let me tell you that what you have is enough. And if you want to live in a way that's appropriate, it's not by being circumcised, as these other people say, but but, but it's by living life in the Spirit. And we see this in Galatians chapter 5. Linda, can I, do you mind if I ask you to read Galatians um, 3? To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God at so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. 
And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. All right, thank you. Remember what I said earlier. Sometimes I think of Abraham and how one star he saw had been lit for me. Paul is saying here, he's referring to history. He's saying, hey, is it the law that matters more? Is it God's, is it the, is it the covenant that God made with Abraham? Paul is saying, the Abrahamic covenant overrides the law. So he's, he says, four, 430 years after Abraham was given the covenant, the law was given. So the, 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 the covenant takes precedence over the law. And the, the Abrahamic covenant is a one thing that continues on beyond the, the, the life of Jesus, beyond uh, the, the people of the, the obligation of the people of God to keep the law. So Paul is referring here specifically, he goes to theology. This is why it's important for us to study the Bible, because in theology we find life, right? So he's saying, uh, the, the promise made to Abraham, this is what's important. And that means that it's not, you don't need to, you don't need to do the things that other people tell you you have to do. And in the life of the church now, we have, um, there may be certain people that say, you know, it's great that you go to church, that's awesome. Uh, it's great that you participate, but you know, like, make sure that you do this, or make sure that you do that. And in the same way, Paul is saying, that should make us really, really careful and worry as to what we hear from other people because Christ is always enough. Christ is enough for us for the rest of our life. Okay, introduction to Ephesians. We're going to fly by these. Uh, But Ephesians, it it talks about how Christ is reconciling the creation, all of creation to himself, how he reconciles people to each other. And it talks about how we should live. And I'm going to say here, this is the there, these are the gospel imperatives in light of the gospel indicatives. And let me talk about this because this also touches on Philippians. But who knows what an imperative is? It's a command. Okay. Um, and then who knows what an indicative is? Indicative. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, you know that we have we all should keep rules, right? I'm, I'm, I'm like, uh, I just said that we, there, we, don't, we shouldn't add on to what Christ has done, but then we are in the, in the scriptures given commands, um, and these are good. This is God saying, this is the best way to live. This is a way that honors me. This is a way that honors yourself as a person. But we can never forget that all this is in light of who we are. If we understand who we are, then this affects how we live. And uh, so often we, we get it turned upside down we, we we think um you know i'm like I, i'm going to act according to what uh someone's telling me i should how i should act and if it doesn't come from us naturally it, it builds resentment and it builds guilt if we can't keep it and paul recognizes this and he says all these things i'm telling you to do yes but before that remember who you are remember your identity in christ all right so uh, there's, this is a long passage. I'm going to, um, let me see. Uh, can I have Christine just read 11 through 16, please? Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Thank you. We are no longer aliens. Uh, we are no longer enemies of God, Paul is saying here. And then he says here, he, again, he refers to this Old Testament imagery, right? He says there is, um, we were uh, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Uh, these were the people of God, but now we are part of the commonwealth of Israel. We're strangers to the covenants of the promise, but now we realize that the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant these were promises that were made not only to the Jews, but also to us. So again, Paul is remembering his mission to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he's saying, for all of us here, I don't think any of us are uh, ethnically Jewish. Um, Paul is saying to you guys here at Indelible Grace Church, you guys are no longer alienated from God. You're a part of uh, Israel. You are a, a child of God. All right? Um, Philippians. Uh, this word joy, it runs throughout Philippians. So it has, Philippians is kind of like a happy letter to, to the Philippian church saying like, hey you guys, um, no huge problems amongst you right now, but I want you guys to know that there are things that you should know. That this increases your joy in God. And um, it talks about identification with the crucified and risen Christ. Just for the sake of time, because I'm going to try to cover these next two books in 90 seconds, I'm going to read through this really quick, all right? So Paul says in Philippians 3, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh again, the circumcised, the people calling for circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason to put confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So remember I talked about who Paul was. He says here, these are my, this is what I have. Uh, I was circumcised. I was um, of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, I was blameless. I kept the rules. I kept the laws. I got it down, you guys, he says. But, 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 Jesus destroyed me. But whatever I, whatever gain I had, I counted for the loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything for the loss because of the surpassing worth of, know, of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and account them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain resurrection from the, from the dead. Paul is saying, hey guys, I spent decades of my life living righteously, I kept all the rules. I went to church like I should have. I went to temple. I studied beyond what was required of me. And Paul says, all this is absolutely... He, he, he uses this this word scubalon in the Greek, which means poop. It means crap. All the stuff that I spent my entire life building up is crap compared to, to Christ. He's, he's saying, you guys, don't put your worth in anything else. Nothing else matters except knowing me. Nothing except knowing Christ. Nothing else matters except being identified with Christ. So whatever you do, it's cool. You know, your job, your career, your family, your, your religious activity. But remember that compared to Christ, this is scubalon. This is crap. Okay? Last, uh, Colossians, the sufficiency of Christ. Growing in maturity in light of the gospel, Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Again, he's saying, this is who you are. You are raised with Christ. 
Therefore, you should seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. So what? You're, imagine yourself just uh, completely covered in Christ, covered with the righteous, righteousness of Christ. You're hidden in Christ, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And, though, and these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, we're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Let me uh, finish with this. Uh, let me read the va- last verse and then finish. Here there is not Greek or and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So, um, verse 10 and 30 seconds, I'll finish off. Uh, being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Do you guys know that when we sin, we are distorting our image our own image and what does the bible say we were made in the image of god right and life has a way of tearing us up and poking holes in us and we sin and our image is distorted and distorted and distorted but here paul says that you're being renewed in the image of your creator you're 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 learning who you are and as you become sanctified as god does his work in you you are being renewed into who you were meant to be Okay, so this is the epistles very quickly. I wish I could have spent another like hour with you guys just to go through everything because there's so much in here. Um, Michael is going to go through the other epistles with you guys next week. So stay tuned for that. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us your word because in your word is life. And I pray that you would make us receptive, not only today, not only uh, this afternoon, but for the rest of our lives. May our hearts be tender for what you have to say to us, God. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.